Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. We are so glad that you have joined us this morning. Uh, we actually have a good, good-looking good crew here in the room. And uh, why don't you just turn and wave at someone? Hello, hello. Just let people know that you're here. You know, we don't get to connect sometimes in this crazy world. And, and, uh, but it's good to make a little eye contact, a little air high five, baby air hug. Hey. Thank you. L Train, good to see you. Got to call you out. Glad you're here. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you for those that are joining us online. We just did a bunch of Christmas carols. Now, Christmas songs are the most iconic of all time, right? Christmas has its own music set, music songs. A lot of people know them. Now, they're the hardest to sing, and they'll take words and shorten them. And you're like, that's not how you pronounce that word. It's heaven, not heaven, heaven. I, don't, I can't even, you know... Some of these carols, they take the words and they like shorten them to make them fit. And then they'll take one word and make it instead of two syllables, five syllables, just so that it sounds right in the song. And you're like, what in the world is going on? And then they throw out words like Advent. And you're like, what in the world does Advent mean? You were thinking that. You're like, what does Advent mean? Well, it means coming. And so it's all about the coming of the Lord, coming of the Savior, the Messiah as Jesus. And so they're interesting songs for sure, but they have a lot of depth and meaning to them. Now, this week I was asked by the association that we're a part of, the Union Baptist Association, and they said, what's your favorite Christmas song of all time? They got me thinking, that's a hard one to answer. I don't do favorites very well anyway. I'm not a good, like, favorite, what's your favorite food, those types of things. I like a lot of things. But what's your favorite Christmas song? If you're online, I want you to type in the comments your favorite Christmas song. Now, if you're here, I want you to say it out loud. What's your favorite Christmas song? And I, I knew, l that as soon as I said, I don't have favorites, like, I could tell you had your favorite lo- locked, ready to go, and she said, Oh, Holy Night. Now, that's a classic, right? Did you say Oh, Holy Night? Yeah, that's a great one, right? Y'all like Oh, Holy Night? Now, that's a tough one to sing. Whew, you got to get up there. You know, that's a hard one. Oh, you want to sing it next week? Okay. <laughs> What's another one? Okay, hang on. I, I hear one over here. Did you say grandma got run over? That doesn't work, Sarah. No, I'm just kidding. What did you say? Now, that's even funnier than the joke I had. I, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Yeah, that's, that's a little girl from Oklahoma, if I'm correct, right? That she, she recorded that song many, many years ago. From the Oklahoma. That's right. It was all about the Oklahoma City Zoo. I want a hippo. That's a, that's a classic. All right, what else? What did you, Christmas in the Sticks, that's a new one by a rapper called No Big Deal, right? Yeah, that's a good one, Isaac, thank you. Anyone else got a, another Christmas carol? B.C. Clark's anniversary sale, now can we count that? Is that worthy of putting in the Christmas song tradition? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Let's sing the B.C. Clark anniversary song real quick. How does it start, what's the first word? Gift, come on, Misty. Joiner. Anniversary sale. Some sales are just, oh, after Christmas. Ours is just before. Savings you can't ignore at Oklahoma's. Since 1892, so give the gift you know can't fail at B.C. Clark's anniversary. You're from Oklahoma if you know that song. That's a good one. Now, I went spiritual on the survey, and I put... 
uh, O come uh, Emmanuel, which we sang, or O come all ye faithful. Sorry, we just sang O come Emmanuel, but O come all ye faithful, because it has the part of O let us, O come let us adore him. That's my favorite part of that song. But Christmas songs uh, can go way back, or like last week, Luke brought up a, a song in our series called Mary Did You Know? Now that, that's a, a classic Christmas song. It's a funny one because it was written by a comedian. It's funny in that way, not funny in its lyrics. Some of them are kind of funny, like, yeah, Luke talked about that, that Mary did know. But Mark Lowry, who's a Christian comedian, he wrote that song even before it was released. He wrote it for a play, and, and then a buddy of his put the music to it. I think it was released in 1991, and, and Michael English recorded it first, if I remember correctly. Um, but we talked about that song last week. And that song doesn't go way back. But what we're doing in this series is we're going way, way, way back to the first Christmas, to, to the first lyrics of Christmas. We're going back to the first songs that we see in the gospel of Luke. And so not, not the gospel writer Luke, but our pastoral intern Luke did a great job of unpacking Mary's song, The Magnificat. Okay, that's Latin for magnifies. And he unpacked Mary's song. Well, today, we're going to look at Zechariah's song. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Now, last week, like I said, was about Mary. And it was about her song and how the angel Gabriel appeared to her and gave her a message that she was going to bear a son and she was going to name him Jesus. Now, in her excitement, she went to one of her relatives, Elizabeth, and... Uh, Elizabeth was filled with the spirit in, in, in the sight of Mary and proclaimed blessings upon Mary. And Mary had the most appropriate response. She began singing praises to God. She magnifies the Lord and she sings this song. And we unpacked that last week. Well, today, uh, as we look at Zachariah's song, it's actually a prophecy more so than a song, but it's still considered one of the first songs of Christmas. Now, to understand the song, we got to go back before Mary's song. Okay, now it happens after Mary's song, but the story begins before we get the Mary story. And so I want to go back to the beginning of Luke, and his gospel account begins with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so the first thing that I want you to see about Zechariah, that he was dedicated. Okay, if you want to take notes, you want to put it in your phone, you want to write it down, whatever you want to do. These first ones are going to be pretty quick until we really unpack the song. But I do want you to notice that he was dedicated. Look with me, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It'll be on the screen. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, if you have an app, you want to use that, or you can look right here. Luke 1, 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. And so just a, a quick pause here. We see that Zechariah was a priest. He wasn't the high priest. He was a priest. And his wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron, the first priest, but the scripture is clear to us that Zechariah, this wasn't just an occupation. It wasn't just a job that he had to do. It was something he took very seriously, his devotion or his dedication to God. What does Luke say? He says they were righteous in God's eyes. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were making the right choices, that they were pursuing and seeking the Lord. Okay? They, they were uh, very passionate about their dedication to God. He also says, Luke says, they were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Okay, so what we see 
And what we can learn is that we're talking about dedicated people to God, not just because it's expected of them or required of them. They're taking this relationship with God, they're this pursuit of God very seriously, which I think would help us to notice is that when we're seeking God, we have a good chance of having an encounter with him. Okay, those odds increase if that we're passionately pursuing God, if we're dedicated to the cause of God. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that everything's going to be okay in your life. It doesn't mean that you will not have problems because not only is Zechariah dedicated, we also see there is uh, disappointment and disbelief or that he is disappointed and in disbelief. Look at verse 7. Okay, There is a dedication to the Lord. There's a dedication to God, but there's also some disappointment. They had no children, verse 7, because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very old, even though they loved God, dedicated to God. And although they wanted children, they were unable to have kids because she's barren. Elizabeth is barren, and to add to that impossibility of bearing children, they old. Okay? We don't know exactly how old, but what we see is that they're advanced in age. And not having a child was a big deal for a woman in that era because childbearing was viewed as the highest calling a woman could have. And so infertility brought about shame. It brought about a negative social stigma. And so there was disappointment in their current circumstances. And we'll see in just a second, they've actually prayed to God for it. They've sought God for an answer, but they have yet to receive that answer that they had hoped for. The answer had come, but maybe not what they wanted. It was a no. And so their prayer in their eyes seemed to be unanswered. There's disappointment that they have no child. Well, let's keep going. Verse 8. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order. Okay, the, the priestly line he was on was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. By the way, when angels show up in scripture, most of the time people are afraid. They're not these cute little babies with harps, okay? That's, you know, that's what we kind of envision angels. Oh, they're here to play a song. No, that take you out, okay? And so he's shaking with fear. Thank you, Sarah. I love hearing laughter, even if it's only Sarah, but still very appreciative. And so the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. So they had been praying. There have been prayers made for this. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him, oh my gosh, this is awesome, John. What? That, listen, any of you expecting, that's the best name, John. Just know that. Like, any baby, female or male, John. Verse 14, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, all priests served in the temple for two one-week 
periods each year. Now, in the midst of Zechariah's ministry, he's chosen by Lot to, engra- to engage in the greatest ministry of his career, to go into the temple to burn incense. This was only to be performed once in a lifetime. But while Zechariah is ministering in, in the temple, he's burning this incense, Gabriel appears to him and says, I got a message for you. I got a message from God. And the angel informed him, hey, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. And not only are you going to have this baby, this baby's going to be a forerunner. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, the coming of the Lord. Now, you can't miss this little fact here. Zechariah was a priest during a time when God seemed to be mostly silent. There's not really this community word from God. There's been about 400 years of silence, even though the Israelites had been used to the prophet speaking for God and having a word for the group, for the nation, for the community. And we don't seem to have record of these heavenly visions or visitors that are for the masses, nothing that we really know of. And so people, they still prayed, of course, and they still offered sacrifices, but the response from God seemed to be quiet. So you got 400 years of this, and then all of a sudden this angel appears to Zechariah, and he has a message directly from God for all people. Now, specifically for Zechariah, he, he got, he's telling him, God's going to provide the thing you wanted. You and your wife wanted a child, and you're going to have this child, but this child is going to grow up and have a major impact upon the world. He gives him this incredible news. You will have a child, and it's a special child. A child that is going to be a forerunner, is going to prepare the way for the Lord, for Jesus Christ, for the sent one, the Messiah. Now, you'd think with this incredible news, you would have this amazing response. Well, look what he, how he responds in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, uh, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. We old. <laughs> So not only do we have this disappointment, there's now this disbelief. I'm already disappointed in my situation, and even though you're telling me there's hope in my situation, I don't believe it. There's disbelief present in his disappointment, but it makes sense, right? I mean, there's some pretty apparent impossible circumstances facing a barren old couple. It doesn't seem logical. The natural world would say, that's not going to happen. And so Zechariah is like, I don't, I want, he wonders if it's true. He basically is saying, I don't really think this is going to go down like you say it's going to go down because we're old. We got problems. We've got issues. It's never worked. And so he looks at the natural instead of the supernatural. And it's easy to say to Zechariah, man, come on, dude, an angel shows up out of nowhere and gives you this message. You should just believe what God's saying. But I think his story is probably closer to our story. We say we believe God can do anything, but we really don't think he will. Right? It's real easy to focus on the natural instead of the supernatural. We hear the word of God, and we know he can do all things, but we think that just sounds nice, and maybe it's for other people, but I don't, I'm not sure it's going to work out in my life. And so he has disappointment. He has disbelief. Then the third thing we'll look at is he has discipline. He gets discipline. He receives discipline. Verse 19. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. You ever played a card that just won the argument? (laughs) 
You know, that, that's the card. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you don't or you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So the angel literally strikes Zechariah silent for nine months. God shut him up. Can you imagine not being able to talk for nine months? Some of you, that's how you make your living. You talk. And, and you need your voice. But God's discipline was strong in this moment. He meant business. But God did this for his good. And his discipline is unpleasant and painful, but it is for our good. Can you imagine the prayer life that Zechariah had for nine months not being able to talk? You know, sometimes silence and solitude is just what the doctor ordered, specifically the great physician. I was coming back from uh, doing Jonathan's father's funeral in Lubbock, Texas. If you've ever made that drive, there's a couple different ways, but you go through West Texas and it's just prairie grasslands and a mesa here or there. and It's actually pretty, but it's also hardly anyone around. And I was driving back after uh, the funeral, and it was an incredible time. And thank you all for praying for the Castillo family and keep praying for them. It was really a beautiful service. And as I was coming back, I had the radio off, and I was in silence. And because I was in silence, my thoughts began to drift more towards God. And I began to think, I, I couldn't, I'm not, I, I'm not so sure I could ever live like in biblical times, maybe like wandering in the wilderness or something, where I didn't have electricity and plumbing. Like you just kind of had to live off the land. I, I began thinking about, I, I don't think I was made for that, right? And I started thinking, gosh, it's so good having technology and those types of, what, what a blessings we have to be able to live in the day and age that we live in. I thought, I, I wonder if it, if it really was better back then to live in. I thought, well, maybe it would be, we have so much evil in our day and age. Maybe it would have been better then. Like, well, you think of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, evil has been around. Temptation has been around. It, this isn't new. It just comes in different packages. The same temptation was there, is, is here, and will be. It's just going to come in a different package. It'll be unwrapped in different ways. That might be more present, but it was present then. So I thought, it's not, no, it wouldn't be better because of that. I said, no, I, I prefer the house. Right? And then I thought, you know what, though? What was better in that day and age was that in the space that you had when you weren't working or weren't doing something, you didn't fill it with stuff. You filled it with God, your thoughts of God. And no wonder there was more supernatural activity. Maybe the, no wonder there was more words from God because people, it, it, they didn't fill the space with stuff. They filled it with God. You're desperate for God. You're, you're thinking of God more. You're pondering the ways of God. You're hearing the word of God more through an, an oral culture. But silence and solitude can be very beneficial if we would take the moment to pause and pray and seek God. And so for nine months, Zechariah had to do it. <laughs> he wasn't going to talk to anyone else. If he was going to talk, he was going to talk to God. I want to skip ahead a little bit. After nine months, Elizabeth, she gives birth to a son. 
And everyone shares their joy. Eight days later, they, they bring the baby boy to be circumcised to name him. And others wanted to, to name him after John. But Elizabeth insisted, or I mean, after Zechariah. Elizabeth's the one that said, no, no, we're going to name him John. I'm like, why would you name him John? That's not a family name. You'd want to name him after your father. So they said, we should ask Zechariah. Well, Zechariah still couldn't talk at this moment. Well, look what happens here. Go all the way to verse 63. They're asking Zechariah, what, what should we name this baby? He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. The discipline is over. He can begin to speak, and what does he use his voice to do? He praises God. So Zechariah now goes from discipline to delight. There's delight in God. Right after he wrote, his name is John, he's praising God Almighty. And his praise was contagious. Other people begin rejoicing. Verse 65, all fell upon the whole neighborhood and the news of what had happened spread through the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. See, God's discipline can lead to delight. And not just your delight, it can also lead to the delight of others. People can rejoice at what God is doing. Then look at verse 67. Then his father, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. And this is where we get to the lyrics of Christmas. In his delight, he sang this beautiful, spirit-filled song of praise. And we call the song the Benedictus. It's a Latin word for the first word in, in verse 68, blessed. The Benedictus, this is what the song is called. Mary's was the Magnificat, Zechariah's is the Benedictus. Scholars have called this for many, many years. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The very first word, blessed be the Lord our God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. Now I stop here because this first verse really sets the theme for the first part of the song. His, the first whole part of his song is focusing on how God is delighted, God is delighted in for his deliverance. So I want us to watch this theme play out over the first eight verses. Okay, this is talking about the delight uh, Zechariah has. Zechariah, but God is delighted in for his deliverance. Verse 68, I'm going to go back to the New Living Translation. It says, praise the Lord, or blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised. Okay, God will meet his promises, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Zechariah begins his Christmas lyrics of delight, declaring that God is our redeemer. God is our rescuer. And it's important for us to remember that our God is mighty to save. And he starts off declaring, God is able. God is our deliverer. God is our savior, our rescuer, our redeemer. 
He delights in the power of Almighty God. He delights that God is able to save us from our enemies. God desires to be your helper. And I believe someone needs to hear that today. God wants to rescue you. I believe someone, maybe it's online, someone this room, needs to hear that today, that God is your rescuer. He is. God is your helper, your redeemer, your savior. Savior. Now, Zechariah, he mentions specifically who it is. Who's doing the rescuing? If you go back to verse 69, you notice who is our deliverer. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant, David. Now, Jesus, again, he hasn't been born yet, but Zechariah knows Jesus is coming. And he knows the purpose of Jesus to set us free. However, I don't think he fully understands how that's going to play out. Gabriel just told him he would have a son that would prepare the way. He would turn hearts. But Zechariah knows the Messiah is coming. And he knows that with the Messiah comes salvation. Now, we don't know how it will all play out either. We don't know exactly how God will rescue. We don't know how God will deliver. In specific situations, we know ultimately our Savior dies on the cross for us and saves us in that way. But typically, God doesn't show you the whole picture. He gives you a snippet at a time and wants you to show faith by trusting him every step of the way. You don't need faith if he gives you the whole picture. But we have to trust every step of the way that he is our deliverer, our rescuer, our redeemer. And what keeps us going is that we know God sent Jesus to be a mighty Savior. And time and time again, what we see in Scripture is that nothing's impossible for him. Nothing's too hard for him. In fact, if we go to Luke 137, this is what the angel told Mary. Gabriel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing's impossible for God. He can do all things. There's nothing too hard for him. And so as Zechariah talks, sings, prophesies about salvation and redemption and deliverance, with that, it's coupled with God's judgment. Judgment is linked with the Messiah's coming. There's judgment. Okay, there's redemption for God's people, but that means there's deliverance in our redemption from our enemies. We're set free from our enemies to worship and serve the deliverer. Redemption is a release to the redeemer, and it's our worship of him. And so today, we know our enemies, it's not the Romans. Our enemies are sin, Satan, death. And Jesus brought us salvation from all those things. We have victory. We have salvation over our enemies through our faith in the victor, in the deliverer, the rescuer, because he has pronounced judgment on those things. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is very key. I love that Zechariah explains why God did this. You know, it's cliche to say, if you, if you don't hear anything at all, hear this. Hear, hear this. Verses 74 and 75 again. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness for as long as as we live. The purpose of salvation is that we might serve the Lord, serve Him, worship Him without fear in holiness 
and righteousness before him all our days. And that holiness and righteousness comes from Jesus. And he has saved us so that we would have no fear in serving our great God. Because he is not against us, he's for us. We should have no fear in our worship of him. So when God delivers, redeems, and saves, he does this so that we can serve him fearlessly. Not afraid of people, not afraid of the enemy. We're not afraid of anything. Our God is for us. And if God is for us, who shall be against us? Our Redeemer has set us free. Our Rescuer has given us real life. He has crossed us over from death to life. And so if we were afraid of death, we could say, we've been there, done that. No fun. I'm not dead. I'm alive in Christ. And so I serve him with no fear. The enemy wants you to be afraid. If you're afraid, that's what the enemy wants because it can be overwhelming. It is really hard to serve God when you're afraid. Because it's like the old saying, you're already dead in your tracks. You, you, you can't move. It has brought you to a place of, of immobilization where you are trapped because fear has you. But God delivers from fear. Freed from these enemies and fears, we are able to serve our God, worship him, live in a way that honors our God without fear. This week in the one-year Bible, I love how God uses his word in my life to tie things together. First John chapter 4, verse 16 says, We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has what? No fear. Because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If you're afraid of God because of a mistake in your life, then you have not experienced unconditional love. It's like when my kids mess up. In fact, I had this conversation with both of them, I believe, last night. It, it happens too often, so it runs together. But it's, hey, I don't like what you did, but I love you. And we can work on what you did that I didn't like, but I want you to know this. It starts with love, and I love you. There's nothing you can do that would make me love you more, and there's nothing you would do or could do that would make me love you less. And they, I hope, it's not perfect love because I'm not, God, but I'm trying to represent God and do the best that I can in that capacity. But as us, as God's children, we should always know that there is perfect love for us and that should cast out our fear. We should not be fear of judgment because you know who faced our judgment? Jesus. He took God's wrath. That's what the cross was all about. Him taking on the punishment of sin. And so your judgment for doing bad things was put on Jesus. And he faced the discipline of God in that sense, the wrath of God, so that we wouldn't have to. Because then the righteousness of Jesus becomes our righteousness, and that's how we have access to the Father. But that's perfect love. And so when you have been saved, you've been rescued by God, you don't need to live by fear. Your right standing with God isn't based upon you and what you've done. Your right standing with God is based upon your faith and trust in Jesus. 
It ain't about you. It's about him. And so that, that should take away your fear. The master has you. The master's got you. You have been grafted, adopted into the family of God. You are his child, and that's not going away. The watchman sees you, and so you serve him, you worship him without fear because you trust in the one who created it all, the one true God. And so Zechariah praised God for his deliverance. He delighted in God in his deliverance. Now, the second part of the song, God is delighted in for his calling. He's delighted in for his calling. You look at the last four verses of Zechariah's song. And you, my little son, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven, is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Zechariah here transitions to address his son, his baby son, John. And John's role is really twofold. First, Zechariah says, you're going to prepare the way of the Lord, which is a direct fulfillment of prophecy and promises given in Scripture in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and then also in Malachi chapter 3, uh, verse 1, which I'll read. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you're seeking will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In Scripture, there was this prophecy and promise of a forerunner. And Zechariah notices, notice, note, knows that, and Gabriel told him that, and so he says, Son, you are the preparer of the way. You're the forerunner. You're to set the stage and the table for Jesus. Then verse 77, the other role. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Forgiveness is connected with salvation. Since sin is defiance and it's rebellion against God, sin must be forgiven or there's no salvation. There must be a cleansing that takes place. And he says, John, you're going to tell people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And we all know, and John knew, that it's Jesus who can and will provide that forgiveness. And that's why when John, in his ministry, when he saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He pointed to Jesus. You want salvation? You want forgiveness of sin? It's through Jesus. So John's calling was to set the stage and to point people to Jesus for salvation. So let me ask you, what's your calling? Now, I would say specifically, there are probably going to be a variety of times where God gives you a specific and intentional calling that's just for you. A specific role, an assignment, a step of obedience that he wants you to take. But let's look generally for a second. For a believer, I believe we're much to be like John. We're all called and have received the calling that John has. We are to point people to the one who can provide salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And if you'll just leave that up there. I believe we have this calling. We are to point people to the one why is that capitalized? Because we're talking about Jesus. 
who can provide salvation through the forgiveness of sins. So how's that going? How's that calling going for you? You stepping into your calling? You living out your calling in the circle of influence that God has given you? You're pointing people to the one? You're setting the stage for Jesus to enter the conversation? You're pointing people to the one who can provide forgiveness of sins? Never ever forget why you're on this planet. Never ever forget your calling. It's not your job. It's using your job to point people to Jesus. You might be a great handyman. Great. Use that to point people to Jesus. Whatever gifts and wiring and personality that God has given you, use that and leverage that for the kingdom of God. Step into your calling to point people to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Look at the last two verses again, 78 and 79. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. There are people that are already around you that are in darkness and they need light. Are you adding to the darkness or are you bringing light? There are people already around you that need peace. They have no peace. Do you bring peace? Use these lyrics of Christmas as an inspiration into your calling to point people to the Savior. The one who was born in a manger, what this season's all about, but then ultimately provided forgiveness of sins by dying upon a cross and then defeating death by rising on the third day. We have a calling. You have a calling. I have a calling. And my calling is ministry. But it's not just to be a pastor. It is to point people to the one who can set them free. Who came to deliver them. To bring salvation and forgiveness if they would put their faith and trust in him. But I'm failing in my calling if I don't point them that way. And you are failing in your calling if you're not pointing them to him. And so this Christmas, let's remember Zechariah's song and embrace our calling and point people to the Savior. How I want to close, would you bow your heads? I'm going to just ask Joel to come up and and play here and sing. And while he does that, I, I just want you to be praying. For whoever in your life, when I said there's people in darkness and people with no peace, those people that are in your life, I want you to pray for. That you would have the boldness and to serve God without fear, you would step in to help point them to Jesus. And so just in our silence and solitude with a little song, would you pray for those people? Could be family, could be coworkers. could be strangers, honestly. 
pray for him. Lost and weary traveler Searching for the way to go Stranger, heavy hearted Longing for someone to know May you find a light May you find a light May you find a light to guide you Searching for everywhere you go, the strangers who are searching, longing deeply to be known. May you find a light. May pray, Father, that we would bring peace and we would bring light. Step into our calling to be your ambassador, to be your hands and feet. And as the scripture tells us, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. May we walk in those steps, not just today, not just this week, but a lifetime of obedience and serving you with no fear. What, what should we fear? If you are for us, who can be against us? May we serve you faithfully and fearlessly. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.